The Irish Times Inside Politics podcast is going to be holding another live event. This one is in central Dublin on Thursday, May the 16th at 8am. We are going to be in Medley in Dublin too. We only have a few tickets left, so if you want to join me in conversation with head of Ipsos polling in the US, Cliff Young, along with Pat Leahy and Jennifer Bray, looking at the polling in Ireland in the run-up to the European and local elections, just go to irishtimes.com slash events where you can get your tickets. It's getting quite late, but it is still Wednesday, June the 14th, and you are very welcome to this latest edition of the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. Earlier today, Elio Varadkar officially became Taoiseach, and a little while ago, he informed the doll of his choices for Cabinet office. I am joined by Pat Leahy, Mary Minahan, and Faith Kelly, all of whom have spent the day up in the environs of Leinster House observing these proceedings. Pat, I was live-blogging it all day for my sins from a distance, uh, but from your perspective, closer to to the action, what were the big surprises, if any? I'm not sure there was any huge surprises, really. Um, you know, we knew Leo Varadkar was going to be comfortably elected Taoiseach. He had the uh, he had the votes in the bag. Um, we knew today was about the selection of his cabinet. The significant moves, the uh, uh, nomination of Pascal Donoghue to head... Uh, not just the Department of Public Expenditure, but also the Department of Finance had been flagged in advance. Um, the promotion of Michael Ring, of Regina Doherty, uh, of Owen Murphy, all of those had been uh, suggested in advance, even if we didn't know, of course, for sure whether they were going to happen or not. Um, I, I suppose, you know, if there was a surprise um, uh it, it, it might have been the demotion of Mary Mitchell O'Connor. It had been suggested in um, uh, um, around Leinster House over the last week or so, or the last the last few days, that she would survive. So uh, I, I wasn't personally terribly surprised that she was uh, yeah, that 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 she was demoted in the event. But I think there was some surprise around Leinster House uh, that she that she was. Other than that, I think. Um, the important characteristics of the day were uh, that, albeit that there were some personnel moves, some reconfigurations of uh, of the departments, including you'll be delighted to hear a dedicated Department of Culture, uh, even if um, even if that is simply uh, a renaming of existing functions and uh, and retains the same minister. But I thought in Leo Varadkar's acceptance speech, uh, or rather in his speech nominating his government this evening. There was a, a definite direction set out for a number of, uh, of the departments. He said specific things that they will do. There was, a, I, I thought, uh, a, a more, my initial uh, assessment of it at least, was that there was a more plain speaking approach to what departments and ministers would do. So there was a number of specific things that we would be able to judge Leo Varadkar's government by in a couple of months, and they were set out in okay, his... Okay, well, is that maybe a first sign, Mary, of something which, which, which was suggested we might get, which is a bit less waffle? Out of Leo Varadkar than we might have had out of his predecessor? Yeah, possibly. Um, certainly, uh, he takes over from Andy Kenny, a very affable gentleman. But, you know, Leo Varadkar is a bit more of a... Leo Varadkar is a bit more of a Marmite man, like they used to say about Jeremy Corbyn. You know, you, you love him or hate him. And I think across, uh, across the House and Leinster House, people are... <laughs> Across the house in Leinster House, you know, I think it's uh, his um, 
Evelation has been welcomed because it gives a point of definition really for other parties. You know, I think if Simon Coveney had got into the position, it would have been kind of difficult for Micheál Martin, the two Cork men, to kind of have a go at each other. So I think the the Labour Party too, I think they're pretty happy that he's in place, not because they like him particularly or his policies. It just it gives them something to fight against. But yes, you know, obviously all the international coverage is about Leo Varadkar, this 38-year-old gay, half-Indian man uh, who's you know, taken over and it's a massive departure from their perception of the stereotype of Ireland. But really, I think he's going to be a very different kind of Taoiseach from those who preceded him because of the very particular set of challenges that he faces. And I agree with Pat. I think he did outline those very clearly and, and, and really attached them to very, to different departments in a very, very clear way. And, you know, a key thing would be Brexit. Simon Coveney, as as we had anticipated, got foreign affairs, but special responsibility for Brexit, which strikes me as a more sensible thing to do than to formulate a whole new department around Brexit. So uh, housing was the other thing. I, I felt he was giving Simon Coveney a little bit of a dig, actually, a passing yeah, dig when he talked about the need to review housing. He talked about the need to review, like rebuilding Ireland was Simon Coveney's yeah. keynote plan since he took up that role this time last year about solving the housing crisis and he said that we're going to review that plan within three months and change it where it needs to be changed and he put a a heavy emphasis on and we'll build social housing if it needs to be built kind of you know you didn't do enough on that front another thing he said during his leadership campaign he cast serious doubt on the controversial help the buy scheme which was one of the main uh, planks of last year's budget the first time Homebuyers grant, I would anticipate that that will get scrapped as well within this review. There was another suggestion in that section where he dealt, uh, in his speech, where he dealt with um, the allocation of the housing portfolio, where he suggested that they would look at measures that might make it uh, more attractive for landlords to stay in Mm. uh, the the business of providing, uh, providing rental accommodation or for landlords to get into it. Now, to me... That suggests that they will look at some sort of tax incentives, you know. So I, I thought they were. The, he, he kind of has been privately critical of Simon Coveney's housing policy for a number of months for Radcliffe, and I think that tonight was the first time so, we saw his thoughts being imposed upon that particular department so, because he can. So, can I ask you then, Fiac? I mean, is is that then a sign that he's going to hit the ground running? I know that's the, very much the impression which would, he would have desired to give today, but that you know he's got a bunch of ideas. He's clear about what he wants on Brexit, on Northern Ireland peace talks, on on capital investment, mm. on the housing crisis. Uh, maybe health, the health system is a bit of a mystery, but is there a sense of kind of, you know... But well, he said himself, as Pat said, he sent his government identifiable tasks to implement now. Like, he went through them quite de- in a yeah. detailed fashion. Like, you know, this department here, you will do X, Y, and Z. This department here, I expect this to be done. It was quite deliberate. It was deliberately done that way, so we will have something to measure him off. And he has already given us signposts about, you know, infrastructural spending, changing the debt-to-GDP ratio, all these things we will expect to see in the weeks and months ahead. And he clearly does anticipate doing that because he's told his parliamentary party meeting yesterday that they will have to sit for a week longer at the end of this dull term. So he clearly wants to get to the summer with a wind that is back, not just in terms of popularity and opinion polls, but have concrete legislative achievements to his name by that stage. Some of the priorities that he raised, like, you know, obviously priorities for for the government in turn, uh, you know, in the Northern Ireland talks, the resuscitation of the institutions, uh, the Brexit negotiations, many of those things, the uh, moving parts of those are, are outside 
his control. But other things like capital investment, be it in housing or in, in roads and schools and hospitals and so forth, they will be directly within. He also referenced broadband very directly in uh, in the speech tonight when he was talking about that, that department. Those were, are within the capacity of government to act upon and deliver. And I think it will be quite clear whether progress is being, uh, is being made on those. One other point uh, that interested me in that speech tonight where he was talking about the Department of Health when he said that uh, you know he was retaining Simon Harris which was a surprise to some people but um, you know uh, I think it would have been a a bigger surprise had Simon Harris being uh, being demoted but he tasked him with um, coming up with a response to the all party report on the future of healthcare which was set up last year to 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 kind of take the politics out of uh, out of health policy in Ireland insofar as such a thing might be possible that was uh, that was what it was tasked with doing and it issued a report recently uh, which is you know a 10 year reform plan which has some quite radical departures in it such as complete separation of public and private health care the ending of uh, you know the uh, privately insured patients being treated in public hospitals and so forth many things which would be greatly alarming to an awful lot of Fine Gael TDs and voters. But interestingly, I thought um, Varadkar said that he would task Simon Harris with the response to that report, not with its implementation. So I think that would be, in terms of healthcare, uh, you mentioned earlier, Hugh, I think that Harris. would be interesting. He too. also told him to prepare for a referendum on, repeal, on the Eighth mm. Amendment which next I year. Well, yeah. It's not a surprise, but perhaps the, the clarity... I didn't expect to hear it in that speech at that time. I'm, I'm subject to correction on this, but I don't think the Taoiseach or any government minister has previously said there will be a referendum. What they've said is they've reiterated this, you know, the requirements of this process that has been said set up by the Oireachtas, so the Citizens' Assembly reported it's now gone to an Oireachtas committee. And And previously people had said that it depends on what the the report of the committee is. What I took from that was that when he met Catherine Zappone last week as part of the renewing the government vows process, she had asked for a parallel process to be set up to the Oireachtas committee on the Eighth Amendment that would look at potential wordings and potential legislation uh, that would kind of be in place, be, well, not in place, will be put to the people along with the, the the wording. She had asked that that be done as a parallel process with the committee, and he had agreed with it. So when I heard that tonight, that's what I thought yeah. it was: was him granting her her wish. Now, yeah. real, realistically, Mary, when 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 I heard him say that, and I was looking at various people, including protagonists on either side of the Eighth Amendment debate, tweeting about it as well, and they were essentially saying, if that's to happen, well, that means really effectively that there has to be a referendum by late spring next year, by, by, by May of next year. Yeah, was it Ruth Coppinger the then people, stood up and the asked him? Yeah, uh, that point was raised by Joan Burton of Labour, actually. She said it would be a good idea to have it before the papal visit. But yeah, I think it was Ruth Coppinger asked him to commit because he didn't commit to a date. Uh, she asked him to commit to an early, early as possible for next year. But one thing that struck me when he was talking today Another point of difference between him and his predecessor, I think we're going to see much more of a micromanager Taoiseach Mm -hmm. than a delegator. Enda Kenny was the world's greatest delegator. He was quite content to allow his ministers to go off and do their thing and he didn't interfere too much. Leo Varadkar has already said that he will will be basically sitting on the shoulder of the Minister for Health. Mm -hmm. You know, he said, I've got unfinished business in health. Now, what exactly that means, we don't know. It's very interesting to look back at Leo Varadkar's record in health 
else, you know, a lot of people. Why so? Well, just because a lot of people say, what did he do in health? Like, I'll tell you what he did. He was basically put in there after James Riley, tasked with calming the thing down. No more scandals, no more big stories, just settle the place. The and he achieved that. The, big, the abandonment of the big structural reform sure. that Fine Gael had promised uh, universal health insurance. That was his and job. He asked for a big ball of money when he was in there. He asked, you know, I need a billion quid to sort this out. So, you know, the first question would be, you know, you've said that you that the department needs a billion euro extra, are you going to give it to him? And the very popular free GP care for under sixes. Complete nightmare mm. for GP surgeries but well, an absolute delight than, than for parents <laughs> of under sixes. Mary says it's quite true in a way because speaking to people around Varadkar in recent days and you're like, you know, what's he doing with the reshuffle? And they're like, we don't know, you know, he's probably mm. only keeping it to himself and there was a question about whether he was actually telling Brian Murphy, his close advisor, and people say, you know, he thinks he is his best political advisor. He thinks he is the best political strategist in his team, and that may be his downfall he as well. He as, is the best yes, political strategist. Team. People, like Donald Trump thinks that. Yeah, people who are around him say, like you know, Varadkar firmly himself believes that I am the best political strategist and thinker. I totally agree with of you, Faith, my yeah. contemporaries of my apparatus and someone who knows him well. As people say, look, that is his strength, but it could become that. Sounds like something that could come before a fall. Yeah, Mary. but you look at Theresa May. Like, look, those two advisors that she sacked recently. Like, she's a different person now since they're gone. That happened to Enda Kenny. Remember, Enda Kenny transformed beyond recognition when Kieran Conlon got his hands on him, basically, didn't he? You know, and that happened to Michael Noonan. Michael Noonan was Michael Noonan, we all know. He suddenly became this kind of grinning, stiff, this unrecognisable person when he was Fine Gael leader. So, yeah, I think Leo, or I think uh, Fake is right that, you know, Leo Varadkar. It's not that he doesn't take advice. I think he does he take does, advice, but he, he thinks, firmly think, believes what, his advice is I, best. I think what he what he tends to do, and I think we've seen this kind of reflection of this today, what he tends to do, I think, is listen to advice, think, and then act. Often act quite boldly. Yeah. Um, so I, what I think, drives those actions? Mary, sticking with you, I mean, just looking at the debates today, which weren't particularly impressive, to be honest. But one of the things that was really clear was that the the opposition in, in all its various forms, for, for the most part, Fianna Fáil was interesting. It was more sophisticated and subtle, maybe. But for the most part, we're intent upon fixing Leo Varadkar as an extreme right politician further to the yeah. right than we had seen in previous Taoiseach or leaders of, of Fine Gael. Yeah. And that was very much the line of attack from Sinn Féin, People Before Profits, Solidarity and, and, and various other parties. Yeah. Is that going to continue on and on? And is that going to be part of the dynamic of the of the discussion that happens? Yeah, I think they, they, as I say, welcome almost his arrival because they get to depict him as a Tory boy, their number one enemy. enemy. And he did address that to some extent. Again, that surprised me in his speech. He talked about how his own views had evolved since 2007. And, you know, I thought, well, thank goodness, because like if your views hadn't evolved in 10 years that would be very, very strange, you know. So I think, I mean, we can look back at what he said on things like abortion, even on gay marriage. Like his views definitely he do seem that, to have changed. He said the night he was elected Fine Gael leader, you know, I'm still evolving. Yeah. He said, I am well, evolving. Well, that's healthy. But, you know, I think he has shown a degree of political courage at times that suited him. The, the number one example has got to be, you know, all the controversy going on with the guards when mm. he talked about, he, he used the word distinguished instead of disgusting. You know, the time, it was a nightmare for his cabinet colleagues. I, I, remember, I remember covering that and it was an innocuous yeah. road safety report launch and the political correspondents of which I was one were summoned down to Dublin Castle to this 
we wondered what the hell we were doing there, you know. And then he came out with this thing, like you know. So it was clearly very touched. It was Pat says cagging, and now but, it will do it. But what he uses a phrase when he uses a phrase, Pat, like like Republic of Opportunity, and then it's you know thrown back in his face as being somehow a a line which represents a certain idea of you know I, I suppose a Norman 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 Tebbit getting your bikeism kind of kind of an, kind of an approach is that. You know, is that the kind of dynamic that's going to go on in terms of this? Is I think it there will be an attempt to characterize him, as Mary says, as Tory boy? Uh, I'm not sure that will be successful, to be honest, because a it's stretching the truth, but also I think there is there's a fair sized constituency out there that he wants to talk to and whose votes that he wants to win that fully endorse things like a republic of opportunity who fancy themselves as the people who get up early in the morning. I think he wants to talk to them electorally. I think the jump he will have to make is that as Taoiseach he needs to represent to and speak to uh, he needs to represent and speak to other constituencies as well. talked during the well. campaign about how Simon Coveney's idea of appealing to everybody, you appeal to everybody, you appeal to nothing, was his criti- mm-hmm. one of his criticisms of Simon Coveney. And that, again, was raised today by Micheál Martin, who essentially, I'm paraphrasing, but said, if you're Taoiseach, you have to, you know, you're serving everybody. Mm. So is there a tension there between there is, his, his, his vision of an electorally <laughs> successful Fine Gael and... There there is a tension, but the story of being a politician in a leadership position, particularly uh, leadership as elevated as as the position of Taoiseach, is one of of tension because it's tension between politics and government. It's tension between, you know, thinking about uh, uh, thinking about the next election and delivering long term solutions to problems uh, that society faces. So that tension is there in every aspect of, uh, of of political leadership. I think it will be there with um, with with Mr. Faradkar. How he manages it. I think will be one of the interesting things to behold this summer. And I think we will get a sense pretty quickly as we have done, I think, tonight uh, with his, you know, with his contributions in the Dáil as to how different his premiership is, is yeah. going to be. I think, I think he has the potential and who knows how it may play out. But I think he has the potential to change a lot of our political discourse towards a more direct, perhaps more confrontational, certainly more defined politics. And I think that would be interesting to watch. Now, it may be that the kind of mushy centrism of Irish Irish politics, you know, and... mitigates against that and overcomes those kind of defining or the, those instincts this his instincts towards a sharper political definition but even as as he would fancy himself a representative of the center in his speech earlier on today he he gave evidence that that center will be a bit more aggressive a bit more uh, jealous of its own territory when he talked about and one very practical thing yes, that he the signaled speaking time. the speaking time in the doll which has given which, equal time to very small independent groups mm. and Fianna Fáil and Fine uh, Fine it drew applause from both Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael no but he was quite as Pat says assertively saying this is the center and the cer- center is going to stand up for itself once more and he was identifying almost 
course himself with Fianna Fáil against everybody else around them. And that that kind of struck through a few speeches today. There was quite a lot of kind of generous interplay between the two centrist parties. So what you know? does that mean for, as I said, Mary, I mean, what does that mean for Fianna Fáil? Because I was interested by the way that Michal Martin navigated his way through so those was I, I thought Michal Martin's speech was a masterpiece today. And I, you know, I thought it was almost getting a little bit too cosy for a while, mm. but then he struck with the the Morawilan line. You know that it it just it just took it was a speech of two halves. You know, it completely it it had all this lovely you know praise for Mr. Farag for welcoming his his parents and all this stuff, and then suddenly it was just going in hard. And they chose that timing so perfectly. A Fall could have that that story's been out now for a while. They could have gone with that last night, but they chose to to bring this up this appointment of the former AG Maura Whelan mm. to the Court of Appeal. Uh, so as she was, political business, really. Well, that's it? how yeah. Michal Martin characterizes it as a, a very di- direct political back. appointment. And he, you know, he's saying, "Look, Leo Varadkar, you know, you're supposed to be representing this new politics. What are you doing here?" And obviously, he took the dig at Shane Ross, who has been banging the drum of this new judicial appointments bill, but yet waves this appointment through. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot to be delved into on that one, and it's been it's been kind of overshadowed by the big uh, set piece events of the last few days, but it's not going to go and away. Luke, if, you ha- if you have this, possibly you end up, as, as has been suggested, this more direct form of leadership uh, with, with a new Taoiseach. And if things, if and when things go wrong, or if and when things are, you know, a government becomes vulnerable, does that mean that things are going to get spikier faster then in, on, on issues like things this? Things will be spikier generally, I think. Mm-hmm. But Pat says is right, you know, we are probably departing that era of mushy centrism as Pat quite adequately put it, where everybody kind of agrees with the broad aspect of things. We're now going to see a lot more confrontation across the House. Whether that kind of means that when we get into a sticky spot like we did last February with the Garda Commissioner and that everything comes falling down, I'm not so sure. I don't detect a desire among Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael for an immediate election. They're looking at electorates all over the world and go, why would you venture out into that jungle when you just don't know what's going to happen to you? Like, we've seen it again and again. So there's a kind of a contentment almost amongst various TDs and people in the back rooms about, let's just leave it go for a while. So I don't think that might necessarily follow that it will precipitate a government collapse, but it will be a kind of a more interesting joust nonetheless. And a more productive government because one of the criticisms part of this government since since the since the election last year has been that it hasn't been very productive. That would be one of the great early challenges I think, to deliver an electric shock to the apparatus of government to get it functioning again. For understandable reasons, uh, the engine of government has pretty much stalled over the last um, over the last three months. With some exceptions, there's some budget work going on in the background. Um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of activity on Brexit. But in general, the uh, the business of government has almost come to a halt. And one of Mr. Radker's early tasks, I think, will be uh, to get it moving again. Um, and uh, you know, he talked earlier uh, in, in one of the speeches about a, um, a full day strategic uh, cabinet meeting that um, yeah, I, 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 sort of an away day yeah kind of a thing yeah yeah he talked about like you'd have your your run in the middle cabinet meeting every week where you would do with the issues and then you would set aside one I think it was every quarter I'm open to correction did you say the first one was on climate change am I right I remember he said that would be the first item on the agenda but I remember him listing off where have we 
I remember listening to that big, he said he topped at big strategic positions, like Northern Ireland was definitely one, sure. Europe was another, and I think climate change. But well, we didn't expect there. climate change. Well, that's very know. interesting. I, I noticed Eamon Ryan pointed out quite rightly there was two hours of debate on climate change. He was the first person to mention it, he was the See, last it person. It does strike me that. The, that that he, exactly, Varadkar is, you know, in one way he's a very old-fashioned politician. He covers all bases. Like, look at the very skillful way he, the geography uh, was worked out through the reshuffle there. You know, his very clever appointment, I think, of of Joe McHugh, uh, all, all, obviously uh, a husband of Alwyn Enright, his key supporter. Uh, they're kind of like the Underwoods of Donegal up there, you know. They're, <laughs> they're, they're skillfully organising things behind them. <laughs> That's a compliment. Um, you know, and but on the other hand, I think he he know he's a nimble thinker. He knows how to skillfully move towards fresh new topics. Like I don't think climate change, environmentalism troubles him too much. But I think he did respond to Eamon Ryan's very persuasive and passionate intervention today when he said something along the lines of, you know, despite all the avocado toast and your jogging and <laughs> frappuccinos, you know, there isn't a stripe of green on you. So I think Varadkar was very skillfully able to say, you know, climate change is going to be our, our, a big thing. I could see Dennis Nocton kind of shifting kind of uncomfortably in his seat at that. I don't think he'd he'd be too delighted about it. But I think he would be demanding of his minister. Yes. Telling that the minister for yeah. climate change isn't comfortable about climate change being higher on the agenda. That's anyway. because he's got a lot of farmers to deal with, I'd say. <laughs> I, I think he'll be a more demanding taskmaster of his ministers than maybe Enda Kenny in at least his latter uh, incarnation has been. And uh, I, 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 I think that will be one of the things that we will have to watch on him. I think, you know, those of us who watched the, uh, watch the Fine Gael leadership campaign and saw the debates and that will have been struck by the extent to which he had a, a you know a pretty coherent grasp of the full ambit of activities of government right across the policy spectrum right across the departmental spectrum and i think he will be I think it would be nosy about his uh, about what his ministers are up to. I think cabinet committees, which in some respects are the engine of cabinet decision making, will become uh, you know will become more active. And Kenny used to have all the cabinet committees on a single day once a month to leave him free to open swimming pools and so forth. And Mayo on the other three uh, on the other three Mondays of the month. I'd be I think that so would be one of the things it, to watch. It sounds to me like you're all quite enthusiastic about the months ahead. Well, well, that's, that, that could be the beers. I asked you not let's, to mention the beers. Let's, 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 <laughs> the, the, the background noises might have given them away. Let's just strike another caution. I think Pat's again right. Enda Kenny talked about it. I'm going to have report cards and scorecards oh, yeah. for ministers. That's it was total true. nonsense that never came to pass. I'm going to sack one of the performing ministers. I think Farag will operate. Not a. It'll be a, like, you know, show don't tell. He will actually sit on them, but he's not going to go on the late, late show and tell us he's going to give them C's and D's and sack them. But I think, you know, it is easy to be enthused about the newness and the freshness that we're seeing, but let's not get carried away with ourselves. Theresa May was being taught about the Iron Maiden in like six months ago in the heat of political contest and decision making she was tested and she fell short so the only proper verdict or not proper to, uh, the only initial verdict we can give on this guy will be next January when he's gone through a budget I think yeah, I think one thing that will give him a great deal of power over 
the rest of his government is the closeness of his relationship with Pascal Donoghue, mm-hmm. who, let us not forget, is now Minister for Finance as well as Minister for Public Expenditure and will wield an influence across government because of his command of the purse strings that is comparable and in some ways is superior to... Uh, Leo's Tony Blair. Not quite, because for Coveney would have been. I, 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 don't, I, it. I don't think. I don't think Pascal detests uh, Leo in the way that. Uh, he starts like came stabbing to. his car, the back of his car seat, at markers, and throwing mm. cans of coke around the office. Mm. But we'll keep an eye on that. You know? Yeah, we will. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll watch that. We'll be pleased to report on this and uh, any other developments. Indeed, uh, on that happy note, we shall leave it there, and we shall retire to our beers. For which, mm. thanks to our producer Declan Conlon, thanks also to Fiac and Mary and Pat for joining us. Remember, you can find me on hlinnonatirishtimes.com, and you can find. Me and everybody else in this studio very easily on Twitter. But until the next time, goodbye and thanks very much for listening.